All right, we are in Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 8. Yes, another large chunk of text. Here we go. Y'all ready? Here we go. Ready? The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, by the way, I hope you guys all brought some of this to with you today, Um, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece, and then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. That ends our reading today. Exodus chapter 25 is going to introduce for us a large section of a lot of incredible detail on this place that God is asking the Israelites to build. And for many of us, as we go through into these different portions of our text, we get sort of mugged down and bogged down with these different details. And we think, why do I really care about the gold inlay and the rings on the box and how and all those things? Um, And the good news is we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, we're going to talk about it next week. I'm just joking. So maybe the week after that, actually. Uh, we'll do a little bit of that. But it's because I think that the text really cares about this. Um, it's going to be giving us large chunks of these instructions twice in the book of Exodus. So we're going to sit down and look at that together. But before we do and before we get bogged down in details and little bits and pieces, let's make sure to grab a couple of really important giant arcs that I think as we push into our understanding of the more of the details of the tabernacle, which is called the Mishkan in Hebrew. Everyone say Mishkan. As we push into those details, we need to frame them out a little bit and try to understand what it is God is doing. So the title of this message today is All Together Now. And All Together Now, I'd like us all to say that, right? All Together Now. All right. So this is a fascinating bit. At the very beginning of our portion of Exodus 25, the Lord says to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering, and you are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. This is a really incredible passage. God doesn't say, I'm this now mean, angry God who has brought you out of Egypt and I was really nice to you when I delivered you, but now that we're here, I'm going to demand all your gold, right? Instead, he says, however their heart prompts them to give. And this first move that God makes as he gives commands to Moses to develop this tabernacle, this mishkan, he says, let's have people give according to their heart. And isn't that a wonderful, beautiful piece, right? It's I heart team free will, right? We aren't having a God that demands things of us and just says, I just want to pick your pockets in and out. Um, In fact, sometimes you can even see horrible things on the internet. I recommend not doing any of the clickbait. But we can hear those stories for people who have been in various different religious institutions where there's been pressure or even a dismembership if you don't give. And they like, have you ever seen this? There's certain places that will like read and say, hey, by the way, you know, so-and-so didn't give X, Y, and Z. And man, I even watched one pastor on TV uh, one time go herself and pull out her purse and her checkbook and write a check right there in front of everybody herself while asking 
people that you could tell like were barely eating tuna fish sandwiches that week to come on down and she's like I'm doing it so you better come and here we go and watch me write my check and this is what I'm doing and it was just such a show and so weird and bizarre and uncomfortable has anybody ever been part of a giving experience at a church where it's been slightly uncomfortable yeah um I there's been places where it's almost you feel like if you don't I was at one church service where everybody was required to get up from their seat in front of the whole church and give up front, not just the passing of a plate or anything like that. Just this major pressure. Everybody's going to walk forward. And you know, some people are just going to fake it till they make it right. They'll be like, yeah, I got that. Uh, And, and there's just this weird pressure and show. And I, I'm trusting that there's good intention behind some of those practices. Obviously, you see at Spark, we have a joy box at the back, and we do exist as a result of people's generous offerings and givings. But we are trusting um, that this is something that God lays on hearts and pushes through. But it is a beautiful thing to be able to contribute to this wonderful thing God is doing, and that's what God is inviting the Israelites to do. They get to all, of their own free will— of their own offering, whatever God has placed on their heart, bring that. Now, God does get specific, right? He's not saying, bring your busted broken sheep, bring like all the things that you couldn't sell at the garage sale, so you just (laughs) drop those off for God's house, right? It's very specific. It's gold, it's silver. There's specific stones mentioned, metals mentioned. By the way, interesting that iron isn't mentioned, and they debate that. Is it because iron is a tool of war? It could be that. It could also be that the Israelites didn't have the technology to smell iron yet. They don't really get that till after King David goes to the Philistines and somehow seems to learn that and brings that back. But there's some pictures in that that as we maybe, I don't have, by the way, any gold to be able to give. Um, it continued and things just as valuable. It was like, and if you have a spice, if you have a little bit of incense, if you have a little bit of yarn, valuable colors, the most valuable in that time, but just whatever you have. And then of your own free will, whatever God's laid on your heart, you come and you give that. No pressure, no big show, Nothing. Just God's invitation to have us come and participate with whatever it is that we want to lay on our heart, that's been laid on our hearts to come and give. Whatever it is that we have. It's a beautiful, wonderful picture. And actually, I just want to give you a little nugget. Tuck it away, because when we get to the golden calf incident, it's going to be entirely different. When the Israelites get a little worried because Moses is up on that mountain, they will be demanded to bring their gold. It'll be required. It won't be a free will offering. And they all have to bring it, and it gets somehow magically fashioned into that calf. So um, here we have God's idea of a free will offering is a free will offering, whatever's laid on your heart and whatever it is you already have within you. So as we look at that, we see that God has invited everybody in the community to participate, the rich and the poor, those with much and those with little equally participatory in this process of building God's beautiful house. And for me, it reminds me a lot of when I was a little kid, right? When you were a kid, what was the best thing ever was when your dad was doing a project and you could, or your mom, and you could run on out and you could say, can I help? Can I help? Can I help? Can I help? Right? I got to help. I remember sitting there and like begging dad, please let me help. Please let me help. Please let me help. Whatever the project was. My dad was very handy. 
And so he's like, okay, okay. So one time, you know, he was like, you know, really, it's a grown-up job. And I was like, I could do it. I could do it. Right? Anybody? Yeah, I could do it. I could be with Dad. I can help. And he was like, okay, your job, we were doing Christmas lights, maintaining the big bulbs on the Christmas lights. Your job is to pull the broken bulbs with the pliers outside of the socket. Just unscrew that. But the key is make sure you've unplugged it first, right? You know, so you're going to plug it in, see which bulbs work, and then you're going to unscrew them. If they get stuck, you know, it's a big job, right? And then unplug it. I was like, okay, I got this. I got this. I'm going to prove Dad I can do it, right? And one time I forgot to unplug that strand. And I stuck the pliers and went, and I went, don't tell Dad. Right? Immediately, like, I don't want dad to know that I just electrocuted myself because I'm so deeply concerned that he won't let me help anymore. I really want to be with my dad, and I really want to help. And God seems to know that. He seems to understand that we want to help, that there's something really exciting about being invited into the process of being able to give whatever it is we can give, whatever it is way we can help as a three-year-old, as a four-year-old, as a 34-year-old, as a 67-year-old, that there's something we can do and that we get to participate. And God's like, you know, he's God. He doesn't really need our help building a house, right? And it's just, by the way, a really nice tent. So he really doesn't need that help. He's inviting us into this process. I mean, God created the world in seven days by just saying things, by just speaking. Let there be, and there was. So God could just be like, let me be nice in my tent, and he could be, right? Let me have the mishkan, and there was a mishkan. No, here God says, come and give whatever it is on your heart, whatever little bit or big bit, whatever expensive bit or poor bit, it doesn't matter. You have a place and a role, and you're invited in. And as God does this, he seems to know something else. Not just that we get to be near him, we get to hang out with him, we get to participate. But God seems to know that something's going to happen in us when we do this. Anyone ever gone to build something somewhere? You volunteered for a day at Habitat for Humanity, or you went and you built homes in Mexico. These are pictures from the King's Academy where Kevin works. And every year, Kevin takes like massive amounts of students. I don't know, hundreds, like 300 plus students. There you, yeah, you guys are like, there I am in the picture, right? Yeah. And so he takes a ton of students down there and you guys build homes. But let's be honest, as you're building that house, what's happening in the group? You're building a new community. You're building an experience with one another that you didn't have before. You are having a moment of of doing something important that you couldn't do on your own. And when 300 people, students, and then like the load of grown-ups they're supposed to watch out for them, all go on down there, yes, they walk away and they've built some really wonderful things into a community that they're in deep relationship with, and they work with these families, and they have a long-going relationship with this community. But when they leave, TKA, the King's Academy, is built too, in a whole new way. Students there and grown-ups there have been rebuilt. They've had a community experience that they didn't have any other way. The same thing happens to us when we put on a play, a big production, right? We put on this beautiful, wonderful production. This is Sound of Music from the King's Academy. I just went on the King's Academy website and got lots of cool pictures. Um, And as they do this beautiful production, or as they're behind the scenes, or they're the orchestra pit, or they're doing costuming, or they're building scenes, as everybody builds this, A community is being built. People are being changed and people are being shaped. It's why we cry when it's over. 
Anyone who's been part of a big, beautiful, wonderful production and project like that. We're not crying because, oh no, there's like three more people out there that never heard the sound of music, and how are they ever going to hear the sound of music? We're crying because we're going to miss this. We liked having purpose. We liked having experience together. We liked being with one another. We liked how we started out strangers, and by the end, we were friends and in some ways, family. We like how we now have some inside jokes. Remember that one time, right? Though I was in a play, I just want to say, when I was in ninth grade, I could play Oliver, a boy. So I was Oliver in the musical Oliver when I was in ninth grade. And thank you very much. And uh, um, I actually hit my growth spurt during rehearsals, and my teacher kept trying to tell me to duck down because I was getting taller than all of the adults, right, on this stage. Um, And so during that time, there was a guy who was like the most popular guy in school, and he made the mistake of eating, not necessarily the smartest guy, uh, the prop that had been out for like weeks, which was just pretend saltine crackers in there. He actually ate them on stage during the production. And then his mouth dried out instantly, and then he still had lines and just spewed saltine crackers. So his name was Crackers after that, and everybody got to... Like, this is a story that could only happen because we spent a lot of time together, and we did a lot of silly things together. And so only people in the production and in the pit, like, who were getting crackers spewed on them, you know, we were the only ones that knew that part of the story. There are things that change when we come together and we build something. So when God invites his people to give whatever's on their heart, their free will offering, he's inviting us to give whatever we can and to be deeply changed as we do it. Not just individually, but as a community. You see, the tabernacle functions as a symbol of our community, of the community of God. It's made out of the contributions of many individuals, all giving freely from the heart. And what they gave was unimportant. That they gave was essential. You see, everybody after this could walk by with their kids as they were wandering out in the wilderness for 40 years and say, see that right there? That's our family. We gave the red crimson for that. We gave this beautiful, wonderful gold inlay for that. Your grandmother provided the spices and the incense. Like she had the wisdom to be fleeing Egypt from crazy Pharaoh and still grab those spices and incense with her so that when they came into the wilderness, they could make this offering to God. And the families are changed. The community is changed. Because together, we can build something that none of us can build alone. Together, we can do something beautiful and amazing that none of us can do by ourselves. And I love this concept and idea because I think it's what is still happening today in the church. Why do you all come here on a very warm day without a lot of air conditioning? And we'll have to see if it's still hotter outside than inside. I think the equilibrium is starting to set in. Um, And as you all come here and you look around, we're all here together. It's okay. I told you to look. You don't feel, you can look. I want to, for just a second. Think of all the gifts and the talents that are in this room. The individual stories, the ways in which God has walked with you, talked to you, with you, shaped each one of us. And yet there's something powerful that when we come together here with one another, something different occurs than what can occur if we're just by ourselves doing a nice quiet time. By the way, you can tell me all about how that went this week from last week later on, right? Um, It's something different that can happen now that we're together that it couldn't happen before. 
So it turns out that as God gives these very explicit instructions as to how to build this house, it's actually not so much about how to build a home for God. It's that as we are building together, we are now being built That something has happened in the people of Israel that didn't happen before these instructions, that didn't happen before this exercise, that they are now even more a people group. Now even more are they sitting there and saying to their kids, come here and help me, and we're going to show how we're going to bring these offerings to contribute to God's beautiful house here in our midst, his beautiful tent. We're all being invited in. Paul grabs this image right out of Ephesians chapter 2. He says this, In Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And that phrasing there in the Greek is plural. It's all y'all. All y'all are being built Not you individually. In in fact, it never says you individually are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So if you have a t-shirt that you wear to the gym, it says, like, I'm taking care of the temple, right? That's fine. It's not what God's talking about. Okay? Um, you're You're a stone. Yay! You're a stone. But you can't just go be up on a hill by yourself and be like, I'm the temple. By yourself, that little stone. It's all of us together being built together, Paul says. And Peter will grab this imagery too. And in so doing, then God says, now we are becoming a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. It's one of the reasons why we come here to church. Because when we come together, there's something that's happening in this moment where God can dwell. And I'm not saying at all that he doesn't go with us when we leave. Of course he does. But I'm also saying that there's something that happens when his people come together and create space, which is what they're doing. They're creating a space for God. They know God's everywhere, but they're creating a space where they can encounter him, where they can become more aware of his presence. They're building a bit of God's kingdom here on earth as it is on heaven. And when Jesus teaches us that prayer, when Jesus teaches us the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer, that portion of the prayer is an invitation, just like this beginning of Exodus chapter 25, to say, come, help build a kingdom. Come, join us. Jesus is inviting us to say, your kingdom, God, on earth here as it is in heaven. And who's going to execute that? Us in partnership with God. Us as God's people, we get to build the kingdom here on earth. And Jesus walks around saying crazy things like, hey, if this person is healed, then the kingdom of heaven is here. That's amazing. If this person is here, is healed. If this person now can hear, if this person now can see, if things are being set to right, then the kingdom of heaven is here. And we're starting to get that little bit of that taste. So when God starts to say all together now, let's come together and make these offerings, he is giving us something positively different than we have experienced before. And now we're going to talk about this next little beautiful piece that comes at the end of our section here in Exodus chapter 25, this first eight verses. Verse 8. God says this, and let them make for me a sanctuary 
and I will dwell, Shechem, in the midst of them. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. Now, this is a really interesting phrase, dwell. What does God mean by dwell? Isn't God everywhere? How can he be one place? How can God be in this tent? Well, here is a nice Bible program that if you search the word dwell and you see what this word here in the Hebrew is, this shechen, this root, here are all the places where it's used, and here's how it's translated in English each place. So it really means settle, settled, rest, resting, remaining, inhabiting, uh, habitation, abide, stay, stayed, lives, dwells. So God says to Israel, let's get this again, and let them make for me a sanctuary and I'll dwell there in the midst of them. So let's unpack this a little more. Back in the garden, if you'll recall, Adam and Eve had some things go a little bit sideways because there was a fruit that looked good. And by the way, we don't know what the fruit was. It just says fruit. And so as to, after they ate that fruit, it says that God is walking in the cool of the evening in the garden, as sort of was his custom, apparently. And he's just chilling out, and he's like, hey, where are you? So when we get back to Genesis, before things went crazy, God is dwelling with his people in a garden. And it's so typical for God to be amongst Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden in the evening of the day that they know to hide from him because they have figured out that they're naked and they are naked and ashamed. Not naked and unashamed. They're naked and ashamed, right? That's part of our larger narrative. We talked all about this back in Genesis. So we have a story where God starts his story in the creation narrative with being with us. But then afterwards, we're pushed out And instead, some sort of weird cherubim angel now dwells there, separating us. We're separated. We've separated ourselves from God. In Exodus now, we have this same word appearing again, right? When when Moses went up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled, dwelt, lived, inhabited there. But for the Israelites, they're down below. And do you remember what the response is? Don't make us go close. We're freaked out. Moses, you go. And God's presence at the beginning of our Exodus story is up there. It's far away and it's scary. But then within a chapter, God says, I'm no longer going to dwell there. I'm now going to dwell in the midst of them. Something is shifting. God's no longer far, far away, out of reach, scary. Which certainly, if you'll think about Moses' experiences with God, it starts with a burning bush, right? It starts pretty scary at the beginning. I would be afraid of something on fire that wasn't consumed. And so something's happened in our time between Genesis, when things went sideways, where God could walk with us in the cool of the evening and talk with us, to now we're having this more distant experience with God far away up on Mount Sinai in a kind of scary way. But now God's saying that his presence that's there is going to come down and dwell in the midst of us. And at this point, you should start to ask this interesting question that the rabbis all ask, since you guys are all good rabbis. And the question is this. Shouldn't it say, I will dwell in it, in the Mishkan, in the sanctuary, in the tabernacle? Why does it say, I will dwell in them? And that's what it says in the Hebrew. I will dwell in them. Why does it say that? 
And does it say it only here? No, it doesn't. Exodus chapter 29, God says again, I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I'm the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them in the midst of them. I am the Lord their God. God repeats it again in Numbers 35. Do not defile the land where you live where I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the Israelites. It's that same word. And what we find out here is that God does not live in a building, but in its builders. And God does not live in a physical place, but in the human heart. Because God says very clearly, I will dwell in them. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says it this way. He's a contemporary rabbi of our time. He used to be the chief rabbi of the UK. And he's incredible. His books are fantastic. And he says this. The sanctuary was not a place in which the objective existence of God was somehow more concentrated there than anywhere else, right? Rather, it was a place whose holiness had the effect of opening the hearts of those who stood there to the one worshipped there. Have you ever gone to a place where you've started to feel more of the presence of God? The ancient mothers and fathers of the church called these places thin places. That the veil separating us between us and heaven is somehow thinner there. Thus, the building of the tabernacle, this small, humble, tent-like structure, and here's a life-size model of it in Timnah, for those of you who've been with us to Israel, that small, humble structure is an event of cosmic significance. Because it brings God down from heaven to dwell in the midst of us. Something that hasn't happened before. And this should not surprise us at all. (laughs) Right? Whoa! You should all be slightly shocked that the God of heaven and earth has now chosen. He's, all, he's looping, huh? He's still. <laughs> I think his mom sneezes and it freaks him out. And so that was like the, the sneeze of the mother. Hilarious. Okay. So what we find here at this part is that this shouldn't be surprising because John chapter 1 tells us this. That the word became flesh and dwells among us. What might be surprising to us as Jesus followers is that Yes, this event in Jesus is incredibly unique, and it's never happened before, and yet you should know that God has been trying to dwell amongst us since the beginning, since the garden. And so that's why it's not surprising to find a God who wouldn't say, I'll dwell in it. I'll dwell in that tent. Instead, we find a God who says, and I will dwell in them. I will dwell in them. Yes, even in the midst of our mess. And that's not just a New Testament concept. That's Leviticus chapter 16, verse 16. One of my favorite books. In, the way, in this way, this is about the day of atonement. He will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and the rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been, he is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. God actually knows that we will be a shabby people, that we will have issues and sin and rebellion and uncleanliness in our midst, and that once a year he's going to have to set this back to right because he is so committed to continuing to dwell in our midst. This isn't a God who's like, okay, I'm going to dwell in them, and then I won't have any solution for when they totally mess that up, right? Now this is a God that says, I'm dwelling in them no matter what. I've started this new plan. 
God chooses to place his divine presence within and among his people. This is a beautiful story about the tabernacle. This is why so much attention is given it. This is why we get the instructions for how to build it twice. Because this is going to be the place where we get to encounter the presence of God. And it's going to be the place where God says to the world, I dwell there in their midst with them. Again, Paul deeply understands this. Ephesians chapter 3 prays this beautiful prayer. Paul says this, For this reason I kneel down before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In Ephesians, Paul says, God, Christ, is dwelling in making his home with us in our hearts. That he is continuing to push for this. And then as he concludes his passage in Ephesians, this is the part we always remember, and now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power and is at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, we always love, amen, amen. We always love that part. God's got great power. It's immeasurable. It's incredible. Back up the track, the truck. Just back it up a little bit. This is what we're amazed by. That God's dwelling is with us. That Christ is at home in our hearts. That he is here with us now. And that as we as the people come together, as we take our free will offering of our hearts, as we give freely to God's kingdom and mission and dwelling in this world, we are invited in. We get to spend time with the Father as we give. We get to spend time with one another and be built into something unique and different as a people, being built into God's holy house. And then the presence of Jesus is here. It's been here the whole time, but we are now awakened to Christ at home here with us in our hearts. And that is the thing that's powerful and immeasurable and unbelievable. And notice again what Paul focuses here on, that you would be established in love. And that you would try to grasp, though it's impossible for you to ever understand, how high, how long, how wide, and how deep is the love of Christ. And that's what we get to do together. We get to come together, and we get to build things. And we do so being rooted and established in the love of God. And that story shows us that God is not far off. He is not up high only on Mount Sinai, dwelling there, but that he chooses all together now to be with us. All together now to build with us. All together now to invite us into the process. All together now, every gift, every talent, every ability, every superhero talent that every kiddo has, every purpose, we all take whatever little bit that we have and we come together and we say, okay, let's build something. Let's build his kingdom. 
on earth as it is in heaven. How do we get to start doing that together? And I think one of my prayers for Spark, one of my many prayers for Spark, is to see what it is. I just open this up to God. God, what do you want us to build? You guys are kind of the most incredible group of people I've ever met. You're amazing. You're thoughtful. You're creative. You wrestle with the text and still hold on to your faith. And you open yourself up to questions and and find yourself deepening and doubling down in your expression of the love of Jesus in this world. And we extend hands to one another and we reach across comfort zones. And we say, I don't know if I believe that, but I still care about you. And we can still find a place here together where we worship with one another. And we find in all of this, God creating something quite beautiful. And I want to continue to empower each one of you to get your hands dirty here at Spark. Whatever it is, a little bit of incense, a little bit of your offering, a little bit of a spice. We all have riches, and God has placed those in us. And one of the things I think we have together here as a community is a beautiful gift to walk with one another in good times and in bad. In Judaism, there's a really beautiful, rich tradition of how to manage grief when someone passes. When someone close to you passes, you spend seven days sitting shiva. You, you sit and you sit with that grief. And then for the full year after that person's passing, every month you remember their passing and you pray. Every week you're still praying. And then on the one-year anniversary, you pray again. And then at that point, you are released from the obligation of the regular prayer in a beautiful way with the community, and then you start to push through the next process of trying to find out what your new normal is without this person that you missed, and so then you keep praying once a year on the anniversary of that person's passing. And three days from now, we'll have the one-year anniversary of the passing of a um, spark friend, Bryant Look. And I know he passed too young, And for many of us here, we miss him. And uh, we're part of a community that was stitched together and built together in walking with his family in that passing, in the journey, in the fight, and then in the passing. And uh, before Bryant passed, he, uh, he had some fun moments of clarity and then some fun moments of, of interesting phrasing. And he invited Kevin and I to come on a, one of his last, Sunday, his last Sunday morning. And uh, we did a little worship service in the house with Melissa and Dan and, and Melissa's parents and Bryant. And he asked us to come for a first Christian breakfast. And we were trying to figure out what first Christian breakfast was. And um, I think it was what, a little bit of what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, first Christian breakfast that I can think of is the one after Jesus was resurrected at the Sea of Galilee. And he sat down by the shore and he cooked up some fish. And he asked them if they'd caught anything. And then they finally realized it's the Lord. And they rush over and they have a morning breakfast with some fish over coals. John chapter, John chapter 21. And it's a beautiful story. And so that's what we talked about. Because when I had been in Israel with Melissa and her father, we sat by that shore. And as we came down to the shore to teach the story, somebody was there cooking fish over coals. And it was such a crazy experience. And so when Melissa's brother asked for first Christian breakfast, I knew, I know what we're supposed to do. So as Melissa and Dan come up on the one-year anniversary of Brian's passing, and as the rest of us who walked with them and who love them and care for them um, are also coming up on that one-year anniversary, would you join me as we pray for Melissa and Dan 
um, and ask for God to continue to comfort them and to find their new normal um, as they constantly remember Bryant, um, but also live the life that he wants us, wants you to live. Jesus, thank you for this community. Thank you for what you've built together. Thank you for the ways in which you are shaping us and moving us and growing us. And thank you, Lord, that you have caused us to build together a community where we bring our offerings to you. And sometimes all that we can offer to you and to one another is a hug, a spoken word of love, and our shared tears. So today we stand with Melissa and the entire uh, Look Bronworth family. And we remember Bryant. We bless you, God, for his life. We bless you, God, for the way in which you told a beautiful story of love and redemption and hope and which you continue to tell that story through Bryant's life. And we ask, God, that you would continue to be glorified and honored through Melissa, through Dan, through their family, and through this community, and that we would do justice to Bryant's wonderful memory and continue to hold it tightly in our midst. For all of us who have had loss and suffering and pain, God, we bless you for community here where we're able to extend hand to hand and build something new together and walk with one another in those places, the highs and the lows. Jesus, we love you. We dedicate this community of Spark to you. We dedicate all of our offerings and gifts and joy boxes and everything else, Lord. We dedicate it all to you and to your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.